you face your mortality in the eye and you have to deal with that scenario. Um, maybe people who are given only so much time to live in their life are, are the closest to purpose that any of us will ever be. <laughs> and, and, uh, maybe purpose is found in the way they spend their time. And, and because we don't fully live our lives, people are alive, but they don't really fully live. They don't fully enjoy, they don't fully, you know, there's a whole saying, uh, live, laugh, and love, that idea that we're overlooking so many things constantly in our life. We're taking life for granted constantly. And uh, there's uh, the whole biblical idea of the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the pride of life, and how they blind us. And so all those things put together kind of are, they're all like puzzle pieces of purpose when you look at them all and, and try to put those pieces together. It, it starts to form a picture. And, uh, I just feel like we live so much of our life trying to prove something to ourselves. And would that be purpose? You know, I don't know. People do the right things for the wrong reasons constantly. Is purpose giving, you know, a bottle of water or five bucks to a homeless guy on your way to church so that when you get to church, you could tell everybody (laughs) or, or just simply look in the mirror and feel better about yourself because you gave a homeless man something, you know, and, and then it becomes more about you than the homeless man. Uh, all these things people do, they, they, it, it, you know, even the good things that we do sometimes are rooted in psychological weaknesses that we have and lack of self-love, insecurity, and so the why behind our life could tell us whether or not we're truly living out our purpose. Because if we're doing things for the wrong reasons, and it's all about filling some kind of a, a void or healing some kind of a, a wound that with external things <clears throat> that will never fix something inside of us, that's pretty, uh, pretty intense. And the idea that people will do that all their life, like my mother, you know, I know people don't like to talk about the dead, but it is something that you can learn a lot from. She literally took so many of her insecurities to the grave with her, things that were never healed, things that, that were never fears that were never faced, um, and, uh, you know, is it just, is it just that she was able to say she did her best? I mean, there's a lot of people who might say, well, she was a good person. She did her best, but in all that wasn't ever faced and some of the things that she didn't even know existed, um, she never maybe 
prayed hard enough or meditated deep enough to see those things, to even know that they were there. And so they were never dealt with. And all of us take a certain percentage of that to the grave, all of us. And so in our life, maybe purpose is trying to take as little of that garbage to the grave as possible, because then we could define our life as, you know, 60, 70, 80% lived because all of that baggage is what's keeping us from fully living out our purpose and experiencing life in its fullest. Um, but that's kind of what I was thinking about. And, uh, and I was anxious to get some of your thoughts. Man, I have so many thoughts. I don't even know where to start. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think a good place to start is, and, and I'm, I'm going to throw this back at you, kind of a starting place, and, and I have some different ideas on this, but um, so do you think that there is a, like a, a real, like objective, um, universal purpose for humanity as a species and do you think that there is a purpose for each individual and and if so what do you think that is and and um and what do you think that is that'll help kind of give it what purpose is so if you look at Adam and Eve as ground zero, it gives us the opportunity to blow everything up, to destroy it, to, to like rewind to when there was nothing. There was no money. There was no competition. There was no murder. There's no sin in the world. Now, whether the story of Adam and Eve is metaphorical or whether it's true there are some important, like, or very, important, the story, very important lessons. What the story means, what we're, you know. Right, because they had nothing, right? So, well, that's your sometimes, so, sometimes to, to find your purpose, you need to destroy this whole illusion, right? There was no illusion with Adam and Eve. It was just them and this world they were given dominion over and all the opportunities they had. And, you know, be fruitful, multiply. They, they ate, they probably ate very healthy. Because <laughs> there is no processed food in the world. <laughs> yeah, and they did but, eat animals. They ate fruits and vegetables and stuff from the land. <laughs> right. And so their purpose was so simple, right? And so what is, what? What was the whole thing? They called it the, the forbidden fruit uh, of, of, of knowledge. Um, the knowledge of good and evil. It was the whole idea of knowing. It was the confusion, right? It was in any kind of uh, spiritual meditation, the idea behind meditation is to get rid of the garbage, to go back to ground zero. It's just you. It's just your breath. It's just you, you, 
and your breathing. It's not even your thoughts because your thoughts have this tendency to define you. They are the toxic narrative, the story that we tell ourselves. We don't even realize it. It becomes so subconscious from the moment we get out of bed, our brain is talking to us and it's forming and creating this story. And so if you take away this whole idea of the knowledge of good and evil, and which is fascinating because why is it good and evil? If God was going to protect them from something, wouldn't it just be knowing evil? But, you know, the tree of knowledge, knowing the differences, it, 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 you know, the whole idea of I was just thinking about something and then somebody tells you, you know, don't think that's dangerous. <laughs> you know, that's the sarcasm behind thinking is a very dangerous thing. Well, it, it definitely can be because it sends us into a direction. And sometimes it's, it's the morning when you get out of bed and it sends you off into that direction, um, forming stories, thoughts, jealousies, you know, covetousness, competition. And so I would look at all of those things as standing in the way of purpose, a barrier to purpose. But some, somehow, some way, they always get mistaken for purpose. So, okay, so going back to ground zero, would you say that there is a purpose for humankind? And if so, what is it? So, it, at ground zero, it was very relational in the sense that Adam and Eve experienced the deepest form of intimacy, not just in marriage, but in procreating and um, being alive and, you know, the whole idea of going and eating in the garden, they could eat anything. <laughs> There's no rules. Um, and then you travel down the highway of despair to the Pharisees in the new Testament and, and for any potential unbelievers that might, listen to this if that ever occurs someday this is metaphorical for you you don't have to believe you don't have to be a christian to understand this idea that there was a problem and then the, in the new testament there was a messiah there was an undoing of sorts there was the destruction of the temple again taking things back to ground zero there had to be some kind of destruction prior to demolition um, or deconstruction. You know, there's the popular idea, the deconstructionalist, the, pe the people who rewind and they, they start deconstructing all of these beliefs they have. And the temple was destroyed and the temple was destroyed because the Romans didn't uh, destroy religions when they took over societies they infiltrated them so the high priests were the hired hands of the romans they were the highest paid jews in the society they were they they were in the back pocket of the romans they it was a disgusting thing that was occurring there was never going to be any change so as long as the high priests were you know friends with the 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 roman leaders 
And, and they were, they were an active communication. It was a partnership that crucified Christ between the Roman government and the high priests. And so this whole, this whole idea of, of the old Testament, the old covenant and, and the new covenant occurred. And there it's, it, it's interesting how Jesus comments were, so simple he didn't even say go out and, and write a book he didn't tell all of his apostles to go out and write a book he didn't say you know in fact when they took the gospel which was the good news right maybe purpose is in that good news when they took that to a society they weren't bringing a book with them there was not a bible in existence uh, that could be carried around in your pocket you know there was the New Testament hadn't been written yet. It was something that was lived at the time. And then when they brought the gospel to a society, they were bringing their hearts, and it was the word of God written on the tablets of their hearts as it was stated. And um, here are these guys with their minds that have been renewed, and they're they're out teaching and healing. And, and uh I just feel like that whole idea of the gospel started when Jesus said, you know, you're forgiven. And he said that the law can be summed up in two things, loving God with all your heart, mind and strength and loving others as, as you love yourself. And and so if that's everything, then maybe purpose has always been right under our nose and maybe it starts with loving ourselves, so that we can have some kind of definition or understanding of how that works. And then think about everything that results from that. You, you look at in the book of Acts when they started sharing their possessions, they started sharing their food, not from a political standpoint, not a socialistic thing, but just generosity. They just shared. And, and, and what for? It was communion. The, the, the wealthy folks would bring the bread and the wine because the poor didn't have bread and they didn't have wine. And so just like in the old days, in the Old Testament, when they would invite after they slaughtered the calf, they would invite the outsiders, the poor and the needy to the feasts that the Jews had. That was a part of it. It was to feed the hungry. And it was this idea of love and and charity that resulted um but unfortunately in this world we live in in most people's eyes that's boring <laughs> it's boring <laughs> that's the truth that's an interesting concept. I, I'm, I'm really, I, I'm so glad I just sat there and let you keep on talking because, um, because I, I, I did have some thoughts. I'd heard some things about uh, purpose in, in the sense of general. And I had heard this idea of, and there's so, so many facets to it, you know, and, and uh, Jesus said, God is love. Right. And so, not he has love, but he is love. And as we've talked about, if we are of God and from God, and God is love, that is what we are as well. And 
whenever we get away from that, it is not who we are, and that is not according to our purpose. And I think that that the fall is that um, separation from who we really are in God, and separation from God and who we are in God and who we are with one another. Adam and Eve, they started hiding each other from uh, themselves from each other and going to the new testament and how they started communing and sharing they were you know, really if we are all of god and from god in a sense now uh, you know when you start talking these things people can look at things all kind twist things and so you, you got to have a, a more encompassing holistic view so when you say one thing it doesn't mean another thing doesn't exist so when I say, you know, our, our purpose or goal is to love, and you can only do that in God and with one another, we are really all one. And that's our, our goal and purpose. It doesn't mean we're not, it doesn't mean we don't exist individually as well. That's what actually adds to the greatness of the unity. It's like the, the, Holy, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's only one God, one but we are also, the Father said, I am one with the Father, and you are one with me, you are one with us. I send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. That is what it's all about. And so um, the purpose is love. We went away from the purpose. We got um, uh, separated from God and from one another. And so the whole story of the world, the drama played out on earth, is that, and that's why movies literature the best stories are those that are of redemption and so um it's interesting so anyway i just wanted to add some stuff and so i think everybody's individual purpose has to do with that it's it's how that general universal purpose is is to be played out in um in our in our individual and collective lives as we come into contact with one another and as we commune with one another and with God. Um, so I found it very interesting though, how you, you went uh, from that to people find that boring. Um, that's a very interesting statement and an insight. So what do you mean by that? I was like, that's interesting. What does he, what do you mean? Well, Drama is something that is also called an addiction. We, if we are on shaky ground with our own identity, we will create enemies to re-affirm uh, who we are. So in other words, this guy, he doesn't like me, and that means I'm right or that I'm powerful. Or that I'm I won and he lost, or you find when people lack this identity, when they fail to love and accept themselves, they are trying to build a case every day, and they're trying to build that case with all sorts of things, and it's exciting, it's exhilarating to win, to be the best, to be successful, and in in the way that they define success. And so we look at it like if somebody is psychologically scarred to the point where they're having an identity crisis and they're looking for affirmation, 
that person is always going to try to build a case constantly. And that case becomes the drama in their life. And you see certain people. I mean, I know a lot of people. I'm in sales, man. I hear stories every day, multiple stories. As I get to know people and establish relationships, I hear all about the life. And it's funny. I always had this thing where it seems like drama follows certain people everywhere they go. And then other people, their life's kind of just boring. You know, they're happy and there's nothing really like standing out about their life. No competition, no enemies, no hard political views nothing you know that stands out and those people can be easily defined as normal but those are some of the happiest people in our society they're not they're not they're if someone was going to kill themselves it wouldn't be one of those people because they just go about their day it's relatively simple they wake up and they're like oh man what a peaceful night's sleep i didn't have any drama to keep me awake all night and then they look at their breakfast and and they, they think, wow, this is going to be so good. And it's like the food, right? They're enjoying their food. And they and they go to work. And maybe they help people instead of compete. Maybe they coach people. And they actually create people who are more successful than themselves, which some people would say, that's crazy. You should try to be number one and make the most money and step on everyone else and get to the top. And, and they think that person's you know, silly the way they live their life. And so to a psychologically dysfunctional, incomplete person who is is totally out of touch with themselves and cannot accept who they are, someone who's actively seeking affirmation day after day, listening to this narrative in their mind that tortures them, that's always putting doubts and fear. And I heard a quote this week that someone put out there that said, worry is praying for bad things to happen. And you've got people that are just constantly worrying. They think everyone's out to get them. And I've been that person in my life. I know that person. I've been him. And so I sit here and I just laugh and I think, hmm, maybe... This whole idea, Christian or not, you know, it doesn't matter what religion you are, you, you, you believe in or embrace, or even if you're not religion, even, even if you're not religious, even if you're an atheist, this idea of sewing society back together and, and this idea of community, of working as a community for the betterment of society, you know, it doesn't matter if you, you see a depressed rich man, what's his issue? Why is he miserable? It's because he lacks love in his life. He has a huge bank account. He has a great title that makes him super powerful, but you can just feel the misery and you can hear it and you can, you know, there's a vibe about the person and you might find out they're, they've got an addiction issue or they're on the verge of suicide or they can't seem to keep their relationships intact. And they, and it's because there's something inside of them that is, is just wounded. There's some kind of love that, that they didn't get in their life. There's some kind of affirmation at an early stage of their life that they missed out on. And they may hate that person 
It might be their mother. It might be their father. It might be their childhood. They may go back and continuously replay this whole story, or it might not even be a story. It might just be a feeling that started when they were three or four years old in their life because of how they were treated. And it set them on this course. I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to impress somebody. I'm going to, you know, stand out in this world. Well, you know, here's the truth. That The truth of the matter is if, if we all stand out, then nobody stands out. And so there's this whole narcissistic game in our society. And we talked about it a little bit on when we were talking about suicide. These people who are so vocal or they're so out there with their drama, they drowned out the sound of the cries of those who are hurting and those people feel like their problems are nothing compared to these other people. And it's all the drama playing out. And so you got all these people getting buried in, in it. And, uh, and first and foremost, you know, Facebook is funny. I had like a lot of friends at one time and I just deleted my Facebook and you know, what's funny. Nobody cared. No one cared. I got like two emails, right? Hey, what happened to you? <laughs> Nobody cared, right? And so here's the truth. People aren't out there to see. They're out there to be seen. They're not out there to listen. They're out there to be heard. They're out there for their own quest to somehow figure out this life and to find themselves and to be something. And they don't see anyone else. It's why this whole idea of being lost, what happened in the Garden of Eden and how many times in the Bible did the word lost and the word blind and, you know, hard hearts, uh, you know, everything indicating walls that we build. Sometimes we build these walls thinking we're protecting ourselves, but we're really locking the entire world out. And at the end of the day, we're alone and how can you be living in love when you're alone and that's what so many people feel at the end of the day yeah and you know i i find it very interesting because i don't know what the truth is because i i mean a lot of people talk in general about people that are really wealthy and that's, I think that's kind of the prime example, this hypothetical, um, because that's like, okay, that's what generally, especially in the United States, people strive for. But I hear a lot of wealthy people that, that they talk about and they realize that money itself isn't going to make somebody happy. There has to be some type of motivation beyond the money and these wealthy people do talk about other billionaires and millionaires they know personally that are miserable so it's not like it's not true but i think everybody at every level of life knows people like that um but i do think it's it's a good example of like hey having being a billionaire is not a guarantee for happiness because that's not the source of happiness um that's not the source of joy. That's not the necessarily your part of your purpose. 
I do, however, like you describe this person. I think what you're trying to describe when you talk about somebody who wakes up and eat breakfast and they go to work and they coach. And like for me, I, I do hear boring. I hear I, I not not for everybody, but for me, I hear, OK, that's boring. I don't want to do that. That's not well, I don't I don't think that's what I'm about. Um, but I think for some people that's perfect and, and they are able to love and accomplish their purpose within that type of perspective. It's like, you know, there's some people that thrive being entrepreneurs. There's some people that thrive being entrepreneurs. And so I think that as we talk about purpose, um, uh, Dweck in her book, Grit, she defines purpose as um you know something that you're passionate it includes passion um grit is passion and and purpose and persistence i think that's kind of the things that go together um or passion and persistence um and so i think i i do think the overarching purpose for humanity we've kind of talked about is love i think there's you know that there's a lot to be fleshed out there because I think we have an innate kind of sense, but then love is used in so many different ways. But I do think it's about connection. It's about unity. It's about, but then it's also, uh, you know, how, what excites us, what energizes us in a real way, not like just for the moment, but in a way like you can look down the road and say, that's exciting to me. And if it's rooted in love and not just, Getting because I think just getting stuff, getting stuff, getting stuff, that is an illusion. That when people get all that money, then they get miserable because like, oh, I'm still the same person. I just have more money. And I've heard some people say, hey, money is just a tool, and so and and it helps you express yourself in more. So if you're miserable, it helps you be more miserable. If if you do things that are hurtful to you, it just helps you do more things that are hurtful to you. But you can have, you know, people in the trailer park that just their whole life is about, you know, getting drunk every day or they don't accomplish anything or they just live in fear just to never take chances. So I think there's people on all kinds of levels. Um, and so I do think part of it is understanding who, who, who am I? I think, I think the foundational part is who am I in terms of, well, your identity is based in God and being connected with um, other people, and actually all of nature. I mean, that's that's part of Christianity. I think a lot of um, you know Christian churches these days don't understand that. I think they fight so against the um, idea of hey, we're separate from God, and we are separate from we're different from God. We're different from um, we're different from trees and nature. So, and that's true. There is, there's a differentiate, but there is a unifying too. It, even um, God said, you know what? It wasn't just us that were cursed. All of creation was cursed because of us, because there's a connection there. And so I think people lose that. But I do think there is the sense of, you know, what, so when we talk about purpose, what energizes you? What excites you? And if it's real and not an illusion, it's going to be based in that, what brings me closer to God? What brings me closer to other people? What what talents and gifts do I have that are kind of unique to me that I can that I can that I love doing? And maybe you know I kind of get into a flow state. Time kind of passes quickly, and um, 
And it, and no matter what that is, if it's something that it's going to be of service to other people. Right. And and it's the the money is sometimes a byproduct of either. You could be a horrible person who's super competitive and you can become rich as a result stepping on of stepping on other people to get to the top or you could be this generous person and 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 you could help people and coach people they talk about bezos of amazon his leadership style and his belief in uh, what makes a successful employee and then you have uh, Steve Jobs had his definition of a good manager and what what makes people successful. And you have Bill Gates and these three guys who are super successful will, you know, have their criticism of the other. <laughs> yeah. Yet, yet they all made it to the top. And then you have people whose drama um, keeps them from success. They stay in a, in a state of poverty. They're alone. They refuse to work and play well with others. They end up in a, a, an environment where, you know, they're maybe in a trailer park or something and they can't, you know, get, find a job or keep a job and they are addicted, you know, to alcohol or drugs. So, the, the you know, your success could be a byproduct of your identity crisis and putting everything else aside to obsess over starting a company and sacrificing everything in your life to get to the top and hurting people in the, in, along the way. Um, or, you know, it can be someone who's very generous and helpful and, and, you know, they get, they get promotions because they're trusted because they, are genuinely good people and they work their way up the ladder from the, because of their genuine goodness. Um, but I would say this idea of, of knitting society back together and you look at the, what was most important to the, in the new covenant and the Bible was forgiveness, confession, um, prayer, uh, communion, you know, these ideas and, and in terms of, you know, everyone is afraid of in, in the, uh, Protestant circles, you start mentioning, um, becoming, you know, one with God, <laughs> they all get freaked out, right? You know, are you in like the new age movement? Are you, did, what, what books are you reading? You know, you're, you're making comments about oneness with God. You know, what does that mean? And that can't be a good thing. And, but this idea of communion is God's invitation to us because it's him coming within us and he's inviting us to, to come within him. And it's a connection of oneness. And so the more you love in your life, love yourself, love others, love God. Um, that's, and to me, loving yourself is where it all starts because if you've got this sick definition of love, of self love, it's going to start contaminating your views of others and of God, and it's going to infect your life. 
And so this idea that we are born and see, I, when the, I, I don't think the, the Catholic church teaches that we're born sinners, like the, uh, the, the whole idea that, you know, a child comes out of the womb evil and sinful is that is that a doctrine of the Catholic Church? Uh, the Catholic, well, so the Catholic Church does teach that, and, and it makes sense biologically too, but it, it teaches that um, because of um, Adam and Eve's sin, that there is an inheritance of that sin that's passed down and has been passed down generationally all the way. So the, it, there's this, uh, it's called original sin, and you're familiar with that term. Um, but it's very interesting. But the church, uh, so the only two people since Adam and Eve that weren't affected by original sin, according to the Catholic Church, are Mary. And it's basically the doctrine is that she was just she was protected in a very special way from that from that uh, disease being passed on to her because she was going to because she was being protected as a vessel to have Jesus inside of her so that he would not be affected. Um, But now the Catholic Church also says that God, he has a remedy. It's that is and that's why the Catholic Church says, hey. When a child is born, God says, get them baptized, and that original sin is washed away. Now, um, that's, that's, and so once that happens, so that the person, the soul, and, and the body, everything is completely clean. Now, because we still live in this world, and because there was that, they, because that did exist, that is, then there is always in this physical form that, um uh the remnants of that disease that um people can give into it's called concupiscence and so because of that there's still this temptation and people give into it and that's why there's still um that's why that still happens so i don't know if that does that make sense yeah and the identity uh or the idea that um however you look at it, whether eventually that that vulnerability that exists in people because of Adam and Eve, whether it's a true story or a metaphor that gets us to a place where we fall at some point. And it's inevitable that we're going to fall away from innocence. And, and I, I look at it like we all get this equal chance but at some point we get knocked off course and but i don't see it as you know this the protestant church makes it such a big deal like in a way where you know and and then you and i both have some reform theology in our background which basically says if you're the elect then there's nothing you can do, right? You're, you're God's chosen people. And, and so you have these, this, the idea people used to read that chapter in Romans nine or whatever that, where it says for Jacob, I have loved and Esau I have hated and how 
God predetermines the path or, you know, the course of, of certain people. And some are vessels of wrath destined for destruction while others are, you know, the elect, they called it. And it's funny how you can get perspective, right or wrong, of some of these theological beliefs that are created, true or not. You can get some perspective of how, in other words, God just shows up at times in uh, people's lives. I mean, look at, and I'm more of the secular side of this conversation. You face your, your, your mortality. Look at how many people came to Jesus that were destined to, they had a disease, right? <laughs> they were facing their mortality and they were given a new lease on life when they were healed and it transformed them. They went on to, it was like the second chance, you know, and, and, and in terms of purpose, wow. I mean, you're blind and then somebody comes and they lay hands on you and now you can see. And how does that, you know, change somebody's life and, and open their awareness of purpose. Now they can see people, they can approach them, they can embrace them. They can, served and care for them you know this person who was once stuck on a corner blind now has this opportunity to to live and and to love in a way that they never were able to and so you know people find their purpose usually faced with either great tragedy or they get everything they wanted in life become super rich and then they realize that that's not the answer and so there are so many ways to get this epiphany but until you have that epiphany you're stuck in the middle where you're still kind of drowning (laughs) trying to get your head above water trying to figure out who you are and where you are and and uh and so there's a difference between seeking out your purpose and finding your purpose it's like that whole idea behind if you're pursuing happiness and you're probably not happy because you don't pursue something you already possess. And so you have these people pursuing purpose out there and they think that the act of pursuing purpose is their purpose. Just like people who are pursuing happiness thinks they think that that is their happiness You know, I'm going to a bar tonight. I'm going to get trashed and see who I go home with at the end of the night or whatever. And that's fun and happy for them. But really what they're doing is they're trying to find happiness and they're mistaking the whole effort and pursuit as happiness in and of itself to where if they don't meet their objection by the end of the night, they're reminded that they're actually not happy. (laughs) That makes me think that I I think as as actually I was going to ask you this, but I do think that happiness is nothing that is ever like once and in this in this world once and finally achieved. I think happiness is 
a moment by moment decision. And, but you have to know how to be happy. And then you, once you know, then you can decide to be happy or not. I don't think it's like, oh, because if you keep on having this idea of, oh, I'm going to achieve happiness someday in a general sense, I don't think it happens. And so you're constantly wanting something that's never there. But if you, in this moment, this moment being the only thing that really exists, because the future doesn't exist yet to us, the past doesn't exist yet to us, um, the now is the only existence. In fact, that's the way it is for God. I think we had this discussion. God um, lives in the eternal now. There is no future for God. It's not like, oh, what's going to happen? And there's no past for God. It's like, oh, what happened back then? No, everything is the eternal now. And so if we're part of God, that's when we are actually one with him because in this life, that is the only reality. And I think that part of happiness is realizing that saying, you know what, I'm choosing to be happy now. And I also heard somebody saying, I agree with this. I was like, wow, you can choose to be happy or not. And in that, you can say, okay, yes, you know what, I'm going to be happy um, unless my wife and I are having an argument. I'm going to be happy unless someone close to me dies. I'm going to be happy unless I lose my job. I'm going to be happy unless, and you can go on and on and on. But you can also say, um, you know, my wife and I are arguing or getting a divorce, but I'm going to be happy still. I lost my job, but I'm going to be happy right now still. Um, and, but I think that if people are listening, like, what? How? Why? But I think that's the big question. And I think that has something to do with purpose because we talked about with purpose being one with God, being one of each other. And it's about love. It's about, and, and, you know, we have yet, if, if, if love is the key to purpose in our existence, then I think it's important to understand what we mean by love. And I, I think that um, love is... Um, what, if, what if love is more of the absence of in other words, we put all these things in, in this whole love puzzle that maybe don't belong there. And, and, and so you have cold is not really a substance. It's the absence of heat. And this idea of this fear of loss or this need to control often gets mistaken as, as love, fear of abandonment, fear of, of losing control. Look at every dysfunctional relationship out there. There's the whole enmeshment idea of trying to like enmesh with somebody else, or there's the whole codependent idea of, you know, propping somebody else or being propped up by somebody else. There's all these false ideas of love that people are clinging to. Um, men cling to sex as love or a confirmation of it in, in an unhealthy sense, you know. Um, or women, they, they tend to look at security as love. Like, you know, as long as we're secure... As long as the bills are paid and, and our kids are fed and 
our lives together, then this is love, you know, and, and I don't really think that is love. I actually, in some ways, you know, at the end of the day, you can really feel pretty lonely, even if your kids are fed. And even if you're getting along with your spouse, you, you can still feel lonely. Uh, you can still, you can have all the sex in the world and you can still feel lonely. Um, that it's, it's, we put so many things in, in place of love. What if, what if choosing happiness is ground zero? What if it's eliminating all of the distractions, the knowledge of good and evil that, you know, of the forbidden fruit, uh, you know, you have all those stories in the Bible of even Jesus going away to be alone, to recenter. What if recentering is ground zero? What if ground zero is just emptying your mind of all of the false ideas, all the pursuits, all the, you know, paranoia and the fear. And, and that gets to the point. What if love is just the absence of fear? What if it's being able to walk into a room without fear and without worrying about why somebody's looking at you or why they're looking at you that way or what they meant by something they said or whether they're gunning for your job or, you know, there's just so many things that prevent people from, from bonding and, and so many walls that we're, we're building constantly. And sometimes we think those walls are love and they're not. And that's to me, you know, how you, how you define love is, is safe. It's, it, it's a, uh, it's a safe place and you have to create that safe place in yourself in the form of self-acceptance first. Well, I, I, I think, I think I see what you're, I think I understand what you're saying. And I do think that might be, the way to in a sense get get back to love and maybe understand what love is um because as you're as you're talking i'm thinking well there's reality and there's illusion there's truth and there's there's deception and lies and i think everything you're talking about are things that have been added if you will and so as you strip those away, I think you then start to get back to the core of, of, of what love is. And so one of the thoughts that come to my mind, I'm not saying this is right, but one of the thoughts that come to my mind is, well, I, I, I think there is a stripping down that needs to happen. But I think that when once you start to get rid of all those illusions, I think you do come back to actually not not nothingness in the sense but the purest form of reality and truth and solid um and solid and, and solidity <laughs> i don't know how to say that it's not you know it's not matter it's not thought it's 
Um, but it is true and the most real. And so. Well, and then somebody else comes along. And now you could see them for who they are. And you have this clarity. And that's love. And what do you think about this? And when you really see, and this is interesting. What do you think about this? When you really see someone else, you see Christ, you see God, because we are of of God and from God. And so basically all the illusions and lies that exist in this world, when you strip them all away, you come down. And and I don't think any of us, I I think we we catch glimpses of it. And I think we see... Uh, we see it a little more, but you know, it's kind of like that passion scripture, right? We see right now is in a mirror uh, dimly, you know, kind of a mirror that, you know, it's not perfect. And, but then when we pass on uh, from this life, then those, then those illusions can completely go away. But in this world, we can, we can start to see more clear. And as we look in the mirror more perfectly and we try to um, wash the mirror of the filth and, and we do that. And so um, we come to more and more clarity as we go along. And, and when, we're, when we're happy, when we choose to be happy, and we start to learn of, okay, this is how I can be happy. I don't think anyone is ever, and this goes along with like the idea of now and, and in a sense nothingness, but not really nothingness, but love. Um, but the more you can exist in the now. I don't think anyone is ever like, really like, I am here right now in this moment. I realize that God is here. I am one with him and I am one with others. And that's the truth that has to be understood, I think. And if someone ever stands in that place and the, and the more clearly they can see that in the now, that's where the most happiness is and the most love. Right, and at the end of the day, you, you have story after story after story of, of people dying and coming back. All these near-death experiences, it's that whole stripping away. You're, you're laying there, your breathing is shallow, you slowly start slipping, you start sensing, you know, family members, old family members that have passed, and, and like beings in the room with you, and you start... You know, and some people will say it's hallucination. Well, then you die and now you're hovering above your body and then you start to drift into this other dimension, the tunnel, the light, the moment where you have this unbelievable clarity where you can see everything that you've done that others have done. You can see this whole reasoning behind it all and it all makes sense to you for the first time. And then if it's not your time, you come back. And then all these people who come back after these near death experiences with this whole near death story to tell their life is forever altered. And in fact, the, one of the most common strands when you compare the story after story after story is they all return and their fear of death is gone because they've already done that. Then they're done that. And they know what's beyond on the other side. And there's no fear of it anymore. They may still fear pain, but they don't fear death because they've seen a glimpse of what lies on the other side. And there are logs 
after, after stories after stories after stories on the internet. People, different religions, different cultures, different ages, all telling the same story of their their uh, near death experience. So this whole idea of clarity is a common thread, and and uh, you know, to forgive the sin, you need to fully understand in some some ways, like we were saying in, in the past episode. You don't have to keep a person in your life after you forgive them. But there is this idea that part of forgiveness is understanding that no one just does, that no one just does, uh, uh, commits a sin. It's, it's, there's, it's always deeper than that. There's something else usually going on. If somebody cuts you off and flips you the bird on the road, there's probably something else going on. And, you know, you could jump into that guy's misery and chase him down and get into a fight on the side of the road, or you can let him take his demons with him and, and, you know, in fact, slow down a little and try to get as far from that person's demons as you can um, and save yourself and your family in some cases, you know, of a, of a road rage incident. Um, but you have this, this idea in life that, once you come to the to, to this idea, this sense of who you are and you can accept yourself, you hear it in the dating world all the time, all the time. I, I just need to to learn to be okay with myself. I, I'm not looking for a relationship right now. And you hear people say, well, once you're okay with yourself and you're okay with and, you know, secure with your life, that right person will, will come along. And, and uh, this week, <laughs> that brings me to something crazy. This week you have that Joshua Harris guy that wrote the books back in the the late nineties about not dating. He was like anti-dating and, you know, not kissing someone until you're married. And the, it, you know, he not only started to bash his own book recently and cre- he's creating a documentary about why that book was so wrong and how it hurt people by telling him that dating was wrong. Um, but uh, he actually um, announced that he wasn't a Christian anymore and that him and his wife were getting divorced. <laughs> Talk about a bombshell, right? <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I sent that guy a friend's request on, on Facebook because I, I'm always fascinating. I mean, uh, those, those stories are fascinating. Uh, I'm fascinated by people that suddenly just they're just everything in their life just completely changes. That just fascinates me wrong or right. And in fact, in many ways, I think once, when you see an extreme change in somebody's life, it's probably more a clue. They haven't found their purpose. (laughs) Maybe it's just because they know they're on the wrong track and they got to make a correction, but they've just like abruptly hit the brakes. And then, <laughs> and, and so he could be onto something. You never, you never know who's, who, who's to judge. It could be a sign that he just realized, wow, I'm going the wrong way here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's 
it, it makes me think that it's a pretty good <laughs> pretty good rule of thumb not to judge other people. <laughs> Jesus says, you know, and I don't know, no, I've told you this before, but you know, Matt, Matthew 7 1, Jesus, I mean, in every translation, there's a form that says very specifically, do not judge. And most of the people I bring that up to, like, if I say, hey, you know, I was judging, or, you know, hey, we don't want to judge, or whatever, there's always this, yeah, but we always, you know, some type of validation of some form of judgment. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. He doesn't say, <laughs> he doesn't say, do not judge unless this, do not judge unless that. He says, do not judge. <laughs> so th- this is the judging is a, an excuse to not love. It's an excuse not to understand. It's an excuse to walk on by, but you might stop briefly on the side of the road and see the, the wounded, guy who was just beaten and robbed like the story of the good Samaritan and you might say well that guy got the crap beat out of him he probably deserved it and then you just go on your way because <laughs> your judgment becomes an excuse to do nothing um, and imagine if, if a doctor was judgmental in that regard he would look at somebody's ailment and he'd say boy they're sure they're really screwed up. You know, they got some serious medical issues and then he would just move on and he wouldn't care, you know? So there is healing and judging. There's helping and judging. Those are complete opposites. There's loving and judging um, complete opposites. If, if you're loving somebody like a brother, you, you want to hear their story and you're fascinated because you, there's something there, man. You know, why does a guy, it doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter why in, in the sense that you want to not come to conclusions about that person. You want to be fascinated and you want to go right to that person and you want to say, so tell me, tell me your story. Why, why did you make some abrupt changes in your life? And, and then you, you suddenly find out that there is a deeper story. There's another story behind the story that your toxic mind creates about people's your toxic mind creates stories to, they become your excuse not to love people. The stories about people, you want to look at them and you want to make a a sharp judgment and say, now I don't have to love them because I've got it all figured out. They're screwed up. And so I'm going to just go on, you know, my merry way, never mind them. And that's, that's judgment. It's, it's the lack of empathy. It's the excuse. It's the excuse we make not to genuinely care about people because it's easier, much, always easier to judge people. All right. So I don't know what happened to my phone that got on low power thing. And it said, um, do you want to save this or, or, or do you want to do low power motor close? And I said, Oh, just close. I was going to, I was going to plug it up. And so it went to this, like, really, like, I can barely hear you mode. So, um, but, I, Oh, you know uh, what? But I want to, so I think we're going to, so I'm putting my ear like very close. So I can't even hear if you're interrupting me right now, but can you give me a summary? Maybe like, here's, here's what purpose is. 
um, like everyone has a purpose or whatever it is, like maybe, um, maybe just like a summary of what your thoughts are, or maybe like three points to, um, purpose or discovering purpose, kind of a, a summary of, of your thoughts on purpose. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Um, I would say ground zero, stop, choose happiness. And the way you choose happiness is by removing distractions and distractions are worries, cares, you know, that you have fears. Um, and ultimately everything that hasn't gone wrong yet, but could go wrong. Um, if you can do that, then you, you basically have learned how to center yourself. It is a form of prayer. And in that regard, you can find your purpose just by getting rid of everything that love isn't. And, and that gives you your sight back, allows you to see. And, and instead of judging people, you're able to understand and empathize and forgive and move on if necessary. So that would be my best summary of, of this conversation and, and a glimpse of what real purpose is uh, in this life. 